the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast again today. I'm so happy to have you. And um, I wanted to say I missed you. Missed you last week on the podcast, but I'm glad to be back this week uh, with a brand new episode. And this is going to be an interesting one. As you saw from the title, we're going to deal with uh, Christians and drinking, why they shouldn't drink, why I choose not to, and um, why I believe that you should choose not to as well. And once again, as you know from all the stuff that we've ever put out, um, I've never put out any piece of content with the desire to be condemning or to uh, necessarily be combative. It's none of that. Yeah, I have a love for people, and I know God has a plan to use you in a mighty way. I want to see you used by God to change a generation as well. So, you know, the reason I do podcasts like this, cover these types of topics, is because number one, they're relevant in the time that we're living. And also people have genuine questions about them. I can't tell you how many genuine questions I've had from people uh, regarding the subject of drinking. And um, really, they're not not really trying to, you know, uh, give themselves the ability or uh, freedom from conviction to do those things. Literally have read the Bible, come across verses of scripture, and had honest questions about the subject of Christians and drinking. So um, we're going to today deal with the subject of Christians drinking alcohol and what it means. Should we do it? Why should we? Why shouldn't we? What are the dangers? What are the harms? What are the reasons? What does the Bible say about drinking? And um, it's going to be eye-opening for you. I'm not just going to deal with some of the scriptures regarding drinking, but I'm also going to deal with a few case studies as well from people in the Bible and talk about why they did or did not drink and what that means for us today. So I want you to take a minute and share this on social media with anybody that you know that would truly benefit from this. And I think that's everybody. Every believer needs to understand these things because even if you're not uh, engaged in drinking or being tempted to drink with everybody else, you also need to have an answer, the Bible says, ready to give at any moment for the hope that lies within you. And so these types of uh, podcast episodes are more, um, they have like an apologetics bent to them because we're answering questions that are asked by others. And it's important to have biblical answers uh, to help those that are in our generation so that we don't just run around saying what we believe but not knowing why we believe it. So I'm going to help you from the word of God as much as I can uh, today and show you some of these things. And then if you have questions, and I would love to hear your questions and answer them as best I can, you can DM me on Instagram. That's uh, at Ted Shuttlesworth. You can send me an at reply message on Twitter. That's T Shuttlesworth. Or if you'd like to send me a text directly, you can text me at 757 757- 300 1078 757 300 1078 and I would love to hear from you guys and um 
and do my best to answer your questions. So let's jump in today, and we're going to talk about this subject of Christians and drinking that's so prevalent now, more than ever before, we're seeing Christians that are fine with drinking and actually drinking quite a bit. Uh, and I will say this, I will, I will say this, that there is, there's something to be said about how this is being done. Now I'm going to cover several different scenarios and several different things here, but I want you to understand as always, everything goes back to the heart of a person. Everything goes back to the heart of a person and how people are doing what they do. And you'll understand that as we go further into the episode, but I want to, I want to let, let's just lay a foundation. Okay. By talking about the base, um, issue here, drinking alcohol. So number one, let's just flat out from the beginning, answer this question. Is it a sin to drink alcohol or put it a different way? Let's say it like this. Is drinking alcohol or is the act of drinking alcohol a sin? And the clear-cut answer to that is no. The act of drinking alcohol itself is not a sin. I mean, that's provable throughout the whole Bible. I mean, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. Um, and, and by the way, let me just preface all of what I'm going to say today by th- by saying this. This episode will be a little bit biased in that um, I have never uh, been a drinker of alcohol. I've never drank alcohol, uh, even socially. You know, I've never had a glass of wine. I've never had a beer in my entire life. Um, not because I was like really tempted. Like I just, I just, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm holding back. No, I've never even felt a desire to do it. I never, I just never have. I've never done it. Um, and so, but I will tell you a funny story. If you stick around to the end of the episode, I will tell you a funny story about something that happened to me in regards to alcohol, but I have never done social drinking one, never had one beer, never had one glass of wine at dinner, none of that. So in one sense, this is going to be a little bit biased, but it's not going to be, I'm not going to bias what the Bible says. I'm, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, but you're going to hear it from somebody who's not a drinker and has, has never been a drinker. Uh, in their life. But is it a sin to drink alcohol? No, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. The Bible says, in fact, if you study multiple passages of scripture, um, the Bible teaches us that wine was created to gladden men's hearts. Uh, the book of Psalms tells us that. The, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that. In fact, the, the verse of scripture that everybody loves to quote, money answers all things. Read right before money answers all things, and you'll see that the Bible says wine gladdens the hearts of men. And so it's not, as I'll show you in one of our case studies, the act of drinking alcohol is not a sin. However, being drunk is, without question, a sin. Being drunk or getting drunk is, without question, a sin. In fact, we're commanded as believers in the New Testament to not be drunk with wine. The book of Ephesians teaches that in the fifth chapter. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're commanded multiple times throughout the Bible to not be drunk, to not be drunk. So while the act of drinking alcohol itself is not a sin, being drunk is clearly a sin. 
And so I wanted to get that out of the way at the beginning because, you know, I totally understand, you know, and, and, and listen, if those of you that are listening that are more uh, conservative, you may be more um, letter of the law. You may, you may have grown up uh, Pentecostal holiness. And, you know, you think even just seeing somebody holding a glass of wine, I mean, you just have to leave the room. Um, you hear me say this, you might feel a little bit upset, but you know, there, there may be cultures in the world that it's completely normal to sit down and, and for somebody to have a glass of wine with their dinner or whatever. And am I going to look at those people and say, you're completely, you are completely out of line. You're call yourself a Christian and you're completely out of, I cannot believe that you would do that. And I, the truth is, no, I'm not going to do that. And you can't do that. You can't read through the Bible and, and, and come to the conclusion that it's a sin to drink alcohol. When Jesus himself, his first ministry, uh, first miracle in his ministry was turning water into wine for a wedding feast. And, and for everybody that would love to argue, well, you know, Jesus, the, the, what he did was turn that water into grape juice. Because, you know, the word wine in the Bible refers to all different types of uh, juice. It's also referred to the juice that's still in the grapes on the vine as wine. Jesus turned it into actual wine because the master of the feast tasted it and said, this is the best wine we've had in the entire feast. And normally this is put out first. And then when everybody's so drunk, they can't tell the difference. We put out the bad stuff. And so understand, it it was the first thing. Drinking wine in that culture was a normal thing. It was a normal thing. What was not normal was getting drunk. You know, Noah was in trouble for being drunk as well. I mean, it's it's a sin to be drunk. But to try to condemn somebody, and, and once again, I'm telling you this as someone who does not and will not drink and has never drank, to condemn somebody because they had a glass of wine with dinner, whatever, you're going to be very hard pressed to be dogmatic about the fact that the act of drinking alcohol is a sin because it's clearly not. However, as we're going to get into in this podcast, it is something that I feel should not be done by believers. It's something that I feel should not be done, especially in the culture in which we live in America. It should not be done. If you're listening to me from Canada, from the UK, from parts of Europe, I want you to understand there's a, there are going to be reasons from the Bible that I'm going to give you this today, especially in the day and the hour that we're living in before Christ's return. And I'll start by saying this. So number one, it is a sin to be drunk. But number, number two, I want to deal with this for a moment, why I believe that we should not drink at all, not even have wine, nothing like that. And that the reason I'm, I'm going to tell you that is I want you to turn with me to the book of First uh, Peter. I want you to turn me to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want to read to you verse number 8. The Bible says, be sober-minded and vigilant, or be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So one of the things we are commanded to do, not just by Peter, if you understand the Bible is a document that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is inspired. God gave us this document. These aren't just Peter's thoughts. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to say these things. And he said, be sober-minded and vigilant. 
Christians are commanded to be sober-minded. You know, you can't have things affecting your judgment, especially when you understand that you're on a mission from God. You have a call upon your life. You're an important person in the kingdom of God. Don't let the devil make you feel like you're, that you're, you know, some unimportant person that you don't matter. Your life is very important and the actions you take are very important. What you say, what you do, how you affect others is eternally important. God has a plan to use you and that's why you've got to be sober. You know, alcohol is a depressant if you don't know that. Alcohol is a depressant. Not only is it a depressant, it's addictive. Not only is it addictive, but it has the ability to affect your actions. Anybody knows that. I mean, you know, if you if you if you're going to argue that alcohol doesn't affect people's actions, you know, how did we get term like terms like beer goggles? You know, when somebody that you that's not that attractive becomes very attractive, you know what happens is that your inhibitions are reduced. Anybody knows that when people start drinking, they start doing things that they otherwise would not have done. I mean, that's common knowledge that the closer you move, you don't even have to be drunk. You don't even have to be drunk for alcohol to affect your decisions. You can get a couple of drinks in you and then you can start making decisions and doing things and saying things that you normally would not have said or done. You know, nobody's ever said, you know what, everything, if I would have just had a few drinks, everything would have been okay. That's not something people say, you know, it's the opposite always in every situation. It's like, man, if I just wouldn't have drank that night, everything would have been fine. If I wouldn't have gotten drunk, if I wouldn't have gone out and started drinking, I think everything would have been, I wouldn't have had the issues that I had. Nobody says, man, if I just wouldn't have been sober, everything would have been fine. If I just wouldn't have been sober, nobody says that. And it's laughable to think about it. You know, even violent crimes. Did you know that alcohol is present in like about 50% of violent crimes that take place. You know, people get angry. You know, they catch their spouse cheating on them. I just had somebody write me recently. You know, my, my spouse cheated on me. I caught him. I went after him. I started, I, I, now, they have to, now they have to go spend time in jail. And people get upset. They go to the store, grab a bottle, start drinking, crying, getting upset, more and more angry, and then they go and take an action they shouldn't have taken. It reduces your inhibitions. You know what it does? It steals your ability to be sober and vigilant, to be alert, to do what God is asking you to do. So what does it do? Let me explain one of the things that it does that is destructive, is that it steals your ability to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. It steals your ability to walk in what I consider to be the most important fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. The more you drink, the less self-control you have. That's just common knowledge. I don't have to sit here and explain that. You guys know that already. The more you drink, the less self-control you have. And self-control, by the way, is the most important fruit of the Spirit. Because all of the fruit of the Spirit are choices. You've heard me teach on this. All of the fruit of the Spirit are choices that you've got to make a spiritual action to take and to subdue your flesh and to let your spirit reign and rule in life. No one's just going to walk in love if their flesh is taken over. You know, if somebody ticks you off, you're going to either let them have a piece of your mind, you're going to get into a fight with them, you're going to freak out on them. 
You're not going to walk in love if your flesh is ruling you. That's why it's important to have self-control in action. Because when you feel like freaking out on somebody, you can walk in love toward them instead. However, if you've been drinking, your ability to have self-control is going down the drain. And that's a problem. Because God, I, I taught on this on Facebook a couple of days ago. The gifts of the Spirit are not a sign that somebody's spiritually mature. The fruit of the Spirit are. Because even the Corinthian church, who had the most probably immature believers in all of the body of Christ at the time, had an abundance of spiritual gifts and manifestation. But Paul had to correct them anyway. Because spiritual gifts are not a sign that you're mature. They're just a sign that you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit that are a sign of maturity that your spirit man is running the show, not your flesh. You're not a carnal Christian. You're a spiritual Christian. And that you're not led around by the carnal nature of your flesh, but that you're led by the spirit. And that's that's God's desire. The Bible says that as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we're, we're called to be led by the spirit. It's very hard to be led by the spirit if you're led by your flesh. And the more you feed your flesh, remember this, alcohol doesn't feed your spirit, it feeds your flesh. It feeds your flesh. And the problem with that is that it makes your flesh stronger than your spirit. It allows your flesh to take over and it dulls your senses and then you just start doing whatever you feel like doing with no filter. And it's a massive problem because now you can't stay sober vigilant alert as you were commanded to do by the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 5, 8. I need to always be ready to do what God calls me to do. Do you know how many times in my life I've had God quickly and randomly tell me to do something or give me an instruction to go do this or say this to this person or say that? If I was drunk or even drinking, if I was in a place where my senses were dull, I couldn't obey the voice of God. I might not even be able to hear the voice of God. Just remember that your life is important, that you're not just coasting through life as a nobody. You're somebody. And as a result, you have got to treat your life like it's important. That's why the Bible says, let me read you something that's in Proverbs chapter 31. We always usually turn to that place to talk about what a, what a great wife looks like you know, all the qualities of a a godly wife. But listen to what the Bible says even before it starts talking about that. Verse four of Proverbs 31, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Verse five, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. So notice, stop right there and notice that those who have a task, a mission, something they're to be accomplishing for the greater good of others, it's not for them to drink. Why? They have responsibilities that they've got to take care of. There are things they must do for the good of others. And that's our story. We're ambassadors of Christ. This entire world is depending on what we do or don't do. This entire world is depending on us. So you understand we've got to be sober and vigilant. It's not for kings. And the Bible says we are kings and priests through Christ Jesus. Now go on further to verses six and seven. Give the strong drink to the one who's perishing, dying. 
Give the wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So when people are always drinking, I'd like to ask them, which one are you? Are you the one that's dying? Or are you the one that's in bitter distress trying to forget your poverty and misery? Which one are you? See, because you shouldn't be either one of those people. You should be obeying the word of God and be in a place where you're not dying. You're living by the power of the Holy Ghost. You shouldn't be the one that's in bitter distress. You should be in the joy of the Lord. See, because here's the thing. People rely on wine and alcohol to heal hurts or to dull hurts that only Christ can heal, that only the Holy Ghost can help you with. Don't depend on wine to drown out your problems, to numb yourself to the issues of life. Connect with the power of God and allow the Holy Spirit to set you free from every issue that's come against your life. That's the key. Don't expect a natural substance to dull your pain for a temporary period of time. Let the power of the Holy Ghost come upon you and bring you healing for eternity. And that's what God wants to do. That's his desire for your life. So understand the Bible's telling us that it's not for kings. It's not for those that have a mission, a responsibility, and an authority. We are to be alert. We are to be sober and we're to be vigilant. When you go back to thinking about, you know, being drunk, right? You talk about the fact that being drunk is a sin. I've always wondered this in regards to um, being drunk, you know, because when you think about other things, you know, it's pretty interesting how Jesus gave us such a line to follow. For example, when he talks about lust, right? He talks about like adultery, when you're sleeping with another man's wife or sleeping with another woman's husband. And Jesus compares that and says, well, you know, in the law, you were just not allowed to commit adultery. But I say that if you have even committed it in your heart, then you've committed it. He's saying that if you've done it in your thoughts and in your mind, then you've actually done it and are guilty of it. So this is how far Jesus took it. He said, no, don't only not just do it, you know, for example, think about this. Don't don't just don't just not sleep with your husband or with your uh, your friend's husband, but don't even fantasize about sleeping with your friend's husband. That was where Jesus took it. Not just don't do it, but don't give it any thought in your don't give it any place in your mind. So it, it's it's this because see Jesus understands that everything starts with your thought process. That's why we're commanded in the scripture in the book of 1 Corinthians, to take every thought into captivity and make it obey Christ. So Jesus understands that everything begins in your thought realm. That's why he said, don't even allow it to be part of your thought life. Take your thoughts under control. It's funny to me that, you know, we're careful to to stay away from the, the issues in, in that level. But then you go to drinking and everybody's like, well, you know, I'm drinking, but I'm not getting drunk. It's like in, in, in other places where we're commanded to stay free and far away from sin, it's, you know, don't, not just don't do it. So let me, you know, let me just break it down for you as a comparison to show you what I mean. Like, okay, Jesus says, don't only not sleep with your friend's husband, but you know, don't even think about it. So what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to see how close you can get to sleeping with your friend's husband without actually sleeping with him? Well, you know, I didn't sleep with my friend's husband. We just, you know, we just cuddled for a while. 
you know, we just, we just kissed for a while. We just made out for a while on, on her couch while she was at work and he was home. You know, we didn't actually have sex, so we didn't, we didn't actually commit the sin of adultery. We were just making out for a while. You know what we did is we just, we just been, we've kind of just been dating. We just been holding hands and, you know, going to the movies together, just dating, kind of just hanging out and building a soul tie. We haven't actually had actual sex, you know, but we, we just been, you know, that's insane to think that way, right? Nobody thinks that way. Well, I want to see how close I can get to actually committing the act of adultery with this guy. I just don't, I don't want to actually do it, but people do that with drinking, and it blows my mind because, it's, you know, we all agree and we all know it's a sin to be drunk. People say, well, I want to see how close, you know, I'm not going to drink until I'm drunk. I'm just going to have drinks up to that point. You know, I just want to keep having drinks, you know, and I'll, I'll stop myself, you know, before I'm drunk. But here's the real problem I have with it. If we're just talking for real, this, this is, this is the main issue that I have with that argument. It's like, okay, let's, let's get down to it. First of all, who determines what drunk is? This is my first question. I want you guys to think about this carefully. Who determines what drunk is? Are we going to determine it by what the government of your state says? If you live in the United States, because what what do they say? I don't even know this because I don't, I don't drink and I don't ever have to have this in my mind, like leaving a bar. But I think most states consider a blood alcohol level of 0.08 drunk. Point, I think 0.08 blood alcohol level in most states would consider you to be drunk and then you're not allowed to operate a motor vehicle. You can't drive at 0.08. So that's like, you know, that's not a ton, by the way. Like that, you're not like sloppy drunk at that point. But I mean, it's enough to where the government says you're drunk and you can't drive. And if you get caught driving, you're penalized. So you're not even like falling over drunk. You're just like in their eyes, too drunk to drive a car. So what do you think? Let me ask you a question. Like, what do you think? Does God, you think God has uh, softer standards for his children than the government does? What do you think? The government has more strict standards for for their people than God has for his children? No, I don't think so. I absolutely don't think so. And so my question to you is, who determines what drunk is? This this is where I really want to go with this because I think more than any other scripture you can pull out from the Bible, more than any case study you could make or more than any, you say, well, Jesus created wine and the disciples drank wine and that was the culture to drink wine. I think the biggest question we need to ask ourselves as followers of God and New Testament believers is who considers what drunk is? Because here's the other thing. We're not all the same person. I am currently, and don't judge me because I'm working on it through, you know, whatever is available keto at this point. I'm about two, I'm anywhere between on any given day at this moment in life between 235, 240 pounds. And I'm six foot two. Some say six foot three. So, you know, the way my body is going to handle alcohol is going to be different than my wife, who's like five foot five or six and, you know, 118 pounds or 115 pounds, whatever she is. My body. Okay. So my wife and I could both say, Hey, let's both, let's both have a glass of wine. 
We could sit down at dinner. My 240 pounds, six foot three frame is going to handle that glass of wine differently than her five foot five, 115 pound frame is going to handle it. We could both have a shot of Jack. We could both have a glass of beer, whatever. Our bodies are going to handle it differently. So what are we going to do? You know, then let's go a step further. If I haven't eaten anything today and I've got a, I'm on an empty stomach and I'm going to have, you know, two glasses of wine on an empty stomach. My wife's going to have two glasses of wine on an empty stomach. So what are we going to do literally? First of all, if we're commanded to never be drunk, what are we going to do? Every time we're going to take a drink, are you telling me somebody's going to pull out a calculator and declare, well, this is how much I weigh. This is how much food I've had today. Uh, this is how much that I should probably be able to drink without actually becoming drunk. Like who's going to sit and calculate every time they have a drink just to ensure that they're not actually getting drunk? You know, like it's such a stupid thought process to me. It's like no one's going to do that. No one's going to truly tell. And then secondly, who's going to even define what drunk is? When do you lose? When does each person lose their ability to make informed decisions? When does each person who's drinking lose their ability to be effectively sober and vigilant and alert? See, my my thing is this. I don't I have no desire to get close. You know, I'm the person I don't want to be close to to getting drunk. I don't want to be close to displeasing God. I want to make sure that I stay far away from pleasing God. I want to do everything I can to please him with my life. I don't want to get closer and closer to displeasing him. I want to please him. You look at somebody like Samson, for example. I mean, I think that's an excellent, uh, to me, it's it's like a very excellent point to, th- to think about Samson because you look at um, the commands that he received. Like, I think that's found in um, Judges chapter 13 is where he gets the command. Uh, yeah, that's where the birth of Samson is. And you start to realize he had a Nazarite vow. Why? Well, he was being set aside for a, a certain purpose. And the Bible says that you'll have a son. And verse 4 of Judges 13, Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. And this is given to the uh, to the mother. And the same was said for him, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then, uh, so then drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then as Samson is born, the same thing is commanded to him. He is to drink no strong drink. Samson is to have no alcohol in his body. Okay, well, he's living under an old covenant before Christ even came. And we understand the purpose. He had a purpose on his life. He had a purpose. He had a mission on his life. And you look back and say, well, you know, I I can understand why Samson did it. Well, you don't understand. We have a greater purpose on our lives than Samson did. We have a greater purpose on our lives than Samson did. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. I have a greater purpose on my life than Samson did. Write that down. I mean, write it in your Bible if you're on Judges 13. I have a greater purpose in my life than Samson did. And you do. 
You absolutely do. You are called to change this world by the power of God. I want to take another case study real quickly because this is important as well. Because probably this is the one that I I get more than any when people are asking me about drinking. They'll say, well, don't forget that Paul the Apostle, he actually encouraged Timothy to drink wine. You know, so that's New Testament. And Paul was actually, in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy in the fifth chapter, he actually encouraged his son in the gospel to drink wine. Let's examine that for a minute because that's a big thing for people and they argue that point and they say, see, that's, and the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and see, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to tell Timothy to drink wine. So it's been a source of, <clears throat> a source of controversy for a long time. They love to go here. They love um, to, to point this, this uh, passage out, if you will. So I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I want you to look at the 23rd verse. And I want you to see what it says. I'm reading from the ESV. Listen to this. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Okay? So look at what the text actually says. Don't, it says no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I found a great article that I love by uh, Brother Wayne Jackson. And, and he points out some things from history uh, and some of these other Bible scholars like uh, Dr. Gordon Fee, Dr. Craig Keener, who is a scholar of scholars, um, Dr. Spence, Dr. Williams, some other things from history that'll help us to understand this. And I, and I want you to hear this. Um, number one, obviously you can see from the text that for some reason, Timothy had issues with his stomach, some sort of a stomach problem that he had that, that apparently came and went often, but apparently it was there more than it was gone. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Williams tells us in one of his commentaries is this, that the Apostle Paul, obviously from the text, he suspects bad water as the source of Timothy's problems with his stomach. And he tells us from history, since the days of Hippocrates, it was recognized that uh, contaminated water could produce illnesses. And um, Ephesus was an ancient decaying city, and it, it, it had a harbor that was silting up, which in turn created sewage problems that actually poisoned some of the underground water supplies. Uh, and it could very well have been the cause of Timothy's uh, stomach problems as Timothy was in the, the city of Ephesus. So one of the things that historians are telling us here, uh, that when you look at what Paul's saying to him, Paul has a suspicion that the water Timothy is drinking is actually causing him to have stomach problems. And so it's very interesting. So number two, when you look at the way Paul's talking to Timothy, um, he said, he uses the words like only. So obviously Paul's not writing to Timothy and telling him to stop drinking water altogether. He said, no longer should you drink only water, but also take a little wine. He's not telling him to drink wine. He's telling him to mix some wine into his water. Mix some wine into your water. He's not telling him to stop drinking water, but for medicinal purposes, mix a little bit of wine into your water. 
Well, the use of wine was widely recognized as a remedy from illnesses among not only the Jews, but Greeks too. And uh, literally in the Hebrew Talmud, you can find um, writings by guys like Hippocrates, Plutarch, uh, Pliny, different ones. And uh, as Gordon's, uh, Gordon Fee has, has pointed out in his, in his writing, and then as well, Dr. Craig Keener said that wine <clears throat> was often helpful in settling stomachs and preventing dysentery. Uh, because it disinfected water. So that's kind of what Paul's dealing with here, suspecting that Timothy's drinking bad water. He's actually trying to uh, encourage him to mix some wine into his water, almost as a disinfectant to help his stomach as he's drinking. But I want you to think about this as well, because something here is revealed about Timothy's character. Because he had been refraining from wine, even from medicinal purposes. Think about that. Like even knowing he had stomach problems, Timothy said, you know what? Even though I do, I'm not going to take any wine, even for medicinal purposes, which was a perfectly legitimate remedy in those days. They didn't have a CVS down the road, but people would take wine to settle their stomach. And Timothy said, I'm not even going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And Paul thought, you know what? He's withholding himself for the purpose of his position in the church. Obviously, he doesn't want critics to be able to say, because by the way, let me remind you that it was actually one of the qualifications to be an elder in a church or a bishop in a church there not to be given to wine. That was actually spoken for the elders of the church. You're not to be given to wine. It was a a requirement, a prerequisite. So Timothy, knowing that, didn't even want to be seen with a small amount of wine to even to help his stomach. And Paul said, you've gone too far. There's too much. We all know you're not a drunkard. We know that you're not, uh, you know, drinking wine for pleasurable purposes, but you need to have something to settle your stomach. And so Paul looked at it and said, it's, it's, you've gone too far. Who cares what some misguided critic's going to say? See what I mean? And by the way, just by thinking like this, uh, as Brother Jackson points out, you understand what Paul's saying here to him it has nothing to do with grape juice because there's nobody that would have been needed to be encouraged to, with an exhortation to use a little grape juice in his water. But Paul, his father in the faith, told him, and it was, it was actual wine for the settling of his stomach. So I want you to understand this. Um, Timothy This shows something about his character. He wouldn't even do it to help his physical body until Paul stepped in. And then finally, let me say this about this passage. Um, This is not a passage that anyone could use to say, see, Christians should drink. This has nothing to do with social drinking. Paul was not encouraging Timothy to go to a tavern. He was not encouraging Timothy to get six packs of beer for the other uh, people in his church and have like a drinking night or to make their own beers at home. And, you know, it's none of that at all. And by the way, if anyone wants to use this passage to start drinking as proof you should start drinking, all it really would allow you to do if you're going to take the passage seriously is to add a little bit of wine into your water glass or into your water bottle for the settling of your stomach has nothing to do with being able to go to a bar or get, you know, whatever at a restaurant or at your house. It has nothing to do with that. So to use this passage as proof, see, the Holy Spirit wants us to drink. It has nothing to do with social drinking or drinking. It's actually an encouragement to mix wine into your water. 
And I, I want to say this to finish off this, this area of the podcast is that one of the biggest things, and I think this is what Timothy struggled with also, is, your, is the thought of your Christian witness. The thought of your Christian witness. We know nothing good has ever happened or come about from the drinking of alcohol. Nothing good has ever come from it. It always leads to something negative if it leads to anything at all. And so I want to leave you with what Paul taught to the Corinthian church. He's teaching them in the eighth chapter of 1 Corinthians about their Christian liberties. You know, he's, he's saying, listen, I know you can eat whatever you want. You're not under the law anymore. He's talking to them about food that's been offered to idols. You know, we, we understand that we're not under the law anymore. But if, you're, but if you love God, this is what Paul's teaching. If you love God, then you'll love people. And you don't want, because, because here's the thing. If you lead somebody to do something that they feel is wrong or that they're convicted about, you've made them do something wrong and defile and actually uh, defile their own conscience, which is wrong, by the way. So understand what Paul's teaching about Christian liberties. He's, and in this, in this course, he's talking about food's been offered to idols. He said, listen, I understand you think you can do it. You're not under the law, but there's other people that are convicted about this. So verse nine, he says, but take care that your Christian liberties or the rights that you know you have don't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person's destroyed the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their consciences when it's weak. Therefore, verse 13, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What Paul's trying to teach the church is, yes, you may have Christian liberties. As I said at the beginning, it's not a sin to drink alcohol. But at the same time, you understand there's many people that are weak and they're weak in faith. They've come out of alcoholic homes. They've come out of homes where alcohols cause problems in their families. And they have a strong conviction not to drink. And by you exercising your Christian liberties, you're actually getting them to violate their own conscience. I actually, let me tell you, I was, I was, we were at a tent meeting in Kentucky one time and there was a homeless guy there every night sleeping in a pup tent with a sleeping bag. And he finally got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost on the last night. But when I got talking to him, he said, you know, this is not my first time getting saved. I rededicated my heart to the Lord. I was actually saved, full of the Holy Ghost, and went to Bible school to become a preacher. He said, I got delivered from drugs and alcohol and went to Bible school. But when I got there, I met up with some of these guys that became my friends. And on the weekends, they would always ask me to go out and get drunk with them and go get smoke weed and get drunk. And he said, I told him, I thought we're not supposed to do that anymore. And they said, no, you don't understand the grace message. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We can do what we want. And we're kings and priests. He, he said, they fed me all those lines. And he said, I started going out there and doing it with them. I got addicted to drugs again, got addicted to alcohol again. And I be, and I dropped out of Bible school. He said, now I'm homeless. And this was his testimony to me. Notice they were doing exactly what Paul encouraged the Corinthians not to do. If you're going to go drink, stop encouraging other people to do it. Stop posting it on Facebook 
Actually think about having a Christian witness to lead people. Don't you think that even the world can see there's like a, a conflict of interest there? Speaking the word in one hand, got the Bible in one hand, got and, and drinking, doing shots in the other hand. It's like, it's, give me a break. Think about representing Christ. Think about representing the kingdom. God will use you in a mighty way, but I have no desire to make a brother or sister stumble in any by any means, I, I don't. I want to see people used by God to change this generation, not getting caught up in a place where their uh, ability to make choices has gone out the door. And I told you I'd share a story with you at the end. I was on my honeymoon. Never had ever <laughs> had any alcohol in my life. Never had a drink. Never had anything. My wife went and I went to Jamaica for our honeymoon, and uh, we stayed at a resort that had resorts all over the island. So. We were able to uh, travel to all the different resorts. And I was laying on the beach and I was ordering all these virgin uh, pina coladas, man. And I love them. I love the coconut and pineapple and all that. And so I was ordering it like all day long. It's like one of those all-inclusive, as much as you want places. And I was ordering all all I wanted of um, virgin pina coladas. And they were coming out at our resort we were staying at. I was like, man, this is great. And we started traveling the island. And one, and one day we went to this other resort that uh, had a pool and had a sw- swim up bar as well. So I swam, I swam up to the bar, asked the same thing. I said, uh, let me get a virgin pina colada. And so the guy's like, no problem. He made me one. I took it back to my chair and I drank about half of it, man. I, and I was like, I turned to Carolyn. I was like, let me tell you. I was like, they do not know how to make these at this resort. I said, they make them good at our other one. This guy stinks at making these, man. This one tastes like Benadryl. As I told Carolyn, I was like, this one tastes like Benadryl. And uh, she was like, let me see that. And she took it and um, she smelled it. She's like, this got alcohol in it. I, was, I, I had literally never tasted alcohol and didn't even know what it tasted like. And I was like, this is nasty. This stupid thing got Benadryl. It's, it's horrible. This guy's he's going to get fired if he keeps making drinks like this. But um, it made me laugh. That thing like knocked me out. I could tell I, I wouldn't even be a good drinker if I was. But it knocked me out. I think Carolyn took a picture of me. I had like half of a small uh, plastic cup of that pina colada and I was gone. I was like on that chair like knocked out. <laughs> oh, man. It, 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 to me not ever having tasted it, didn't even know what it was like. And I was like, man, I thought he just screwed the drink up. But literally, I I believe in all of you that are listening. I believe in the purpose God's placed on your life. And you can see clearly why I choose. And I'm not doing this in a prideful way or a condescending or condemning way. That's not what this is about. We're living in a generation that's being fed the hyper grace message that your choices don't matter, that you can live any way you want to and please the Lord. And it's causing some like, you know, I've, I've seen people that are all about, you know, I, it's not about having a glass of wine at dinner. Like I literally see people on online or whatever, and they're, they're all about their whiskey. They want to be in, in on their, I'm talking about Christians and ministers. They want they want to be able to, they're they're whiskey connoisseurs now man I want I want to get my whiskey on you know I, I have my favorite whiskeys that we drink I love having shots of this whiskey and whatever it's like you know whiskey is just like like hard liquor is there for one purpose and I, you can argue all you want you know well there's no there's connoisseurs we like the flavor we're trying to get the best out of the taste and no, whatever man it's like dude at some point you got to recognize. I've got a purpose. I have to be separated from this world. I've got to be different. And listen, I know this applies to every area of life. 
to make it an, an argument, like I'm sure there'll be people who will comment and say, well, you're doing a whole podcast on drinking. Meanwhile, most people in America are being killed by overeating. He's like, yes, I know that people are, are eating themselves into an early grave, but you know, these two things are not mutually exclusive. I don't, you know, I, I don't have to choose whether or not to speak on, you know, defiling the temple of, of God by overeating and eating wrong or drinking. It's like they both should not be done. It's not like you can't talk about drinking because people are, have diabetes. I get it. I get that people are making unwise choices, but this needs to be talked about because people are, are, are failing at this. They're failing at this. And our desire should be to please the Lord. I have no desire to be drunk or get close to drunk. I have a desire to be drunk in the Holy Ghost, to be filled with the power of God and accomplish my purpose as a believer. I want to pray for those of you that are listening that God would give you a burning desire and a heart to stay far away from whatever is displeasing to God and to be who God's called you to be, a Christian witness Literally, uh, someone God sets on fire to change this world before it's too late. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person listening to the podcast today, I ask you to make them not only just a witness, but empower them. Let them be a burning fire in this generation that will change other lives. Keep us far from things that displease you. Let our lives be pleasing to you in every area. And use us. We want to be vessels of gold and silver, not wood and clay. Use us for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I love you guys. Once again, if you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram, Twitter. You can hit me up at that text message number, 757-300-1078. I love you guys so much. Thanks for joining me. And remember, till next time, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.